I'm Johnny Varvel, UK's Editor-in-Chief, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the Varvel Football Podcast. This podcast aims to bring you insight, debate, and entertainment from some of the best and brightest young sports journalists from around the world. Please do give us a listen. You've already started, so I'd recommend staying for a little bit longer at least. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, then please do give us a subscribe. And even better, give us a positive review. Positive reviews are a great way to expand our reach. Not only would this mean a lot to me, but it would mean a lot to over 300 writers that write regularly for Varvel UK. We hope to get as many of them on this podcast as we possibly can over the course of the 2021 to 22 season. Anyway, enough of my waffle. Let's get straight into this. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So there were some huge games this week in the EPL and I thought what better person to have on than the Arsenal editor and Chelsea writer Jake Leach. But then Jake Leach turned out to disappoint me again. If you're listening, Jake, you know, this is this is designed to test if you listen to the podcast and if you do, well done you, well done you. He's now the graphic designer for Varvel, does some wonderful work on the website and I'm now just testing his ability to see if he actually listens to the podcast. And if you do, you've just gone up in my estimations. Wonderful graphics, by the way. Fantastic, though. The opportunity, one door closes, but another one wonderfully opens. The opportunity now to lower the average age of the guest on the podcast. We have the best and most talented 15-year-old German. 15? Are we right, Charlie? It's 15 years old. Yeah, I'm 15. I've 16 in a couple of months, yeah. And I say that in a non-patronising way because it is truly remarkable. When I think of what I was doing when I was 15 years old, I was probably working out that picking your nose wasn't a healthy hobby to do at that age and only just passing my A-levels and working so hard to do that. It's truly, truly remarkable. I was saying this off-air. I'm going to say it on-air as well. Just... It's truly remarkable what you've done so far, Charlie. Can you tell everyone a little bit about some of the people you've interviewed already? Um, yeah, well, thanks for that introduction. Um, hey, I appreciate that. Um, I'm not sure I'm that good, but yeah, I've written for The Guardian, 442, RTE, The Set Pieces, Copper 90, and yeah, many more. And obviously now I've now joined, yeah, I was going to say I joined uh, Vavu and... Yeah, I'm just, I'm writing, I'm not doing anything club specific like that. I'm almost like a football correspondent sort of um, position. But yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it, covering match reports. And yeah, um, who have I interviewed? I've interviewed people from Solly March and um, David Hillier, who's a former Arsenal FA Cup winning legend who then became a firefighter after football. I've, I've spoken to Matt Doherty's mum and um, three football mascots. And yeah, it, 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 I, I think it's, it's all about speaking to people, getting to know their interesting stories. And I've, I, yeah, and it's my dream when I'm older to become a chief football writer, I guess. So I just thought I'd start young. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's it's good. I mean, Callum is also here. Can I just say, I'm very delighted to have him back, not only in HD, which you cannot appreciate like I can, but also with HD audio, which hopefully you can appreciate, and it will mean less editing for me after. Mm, yeah, it's nice to be back after 
Um, pretty mad couple of weeks, must say. Been a very busy old life for me of late. So, uh, yeah, nice to have a bit of normality back. Wonderful, wonderful. I mean, as I say, I didn't want to dampen the parade on Callum's return, but I felt apt that we should we should, we should uh, cherish or, or or champion the wonderful efforts of young Charlie as well. I mean, we also have a wonderful women's football league editor, Adam Millington, who's just passed his GCSEs. And he's doing a similarly wonderful job and making me feel ever so older as I stroke my beard and contemplate my own actions in life and what I was doing at such a young age. So massive respect to Charlie, massive respect to Adam, massive respect to anyone who is thinking about entering this industry and who is contributing in such a wonderful way at such a young age. But before I wax lyrically anymore, which I'm sure uh, we will do as the show goes on, I think it's probably apt to look at some of the big stories from the weekend as ever. We're going to look at all the Premier League fixtures that have just happened. This will come out on Monday morning, so it will be a perfect sort of fix for the weekend before and hopefully it's still time-bound and relevant by the end of the week until the next episode. So hopefully these opinions have some sustainability. Two really big um, stories this week, two really big matches, should we say. We'll probably start with the most recent one, North London Derby, or as I call it, sort of the battle of the two clubs that want to stay relevant at the top of the table. One of them, Arsenal, were, well, Arsenal were absolutely wonderful, continuing this little mini renaissance that they are having after the worst possible start to the season they could have imagined. Tottenham, after Nuno Espirito Santo won manager of the month, enjoying the complete role reverse of what Arsenal are doing. Three successive 1-0 wins, followed by uh, three games in the Premier League in which I believe nine goals have been shipped and one goal has been scored. It doesn't make for good reading. Charlie will bring you in on this one first. Now, first of all, should Arsenal fans be getting a little bit carried away now? Even though it's only, you know, after six games, they've won as many games as they lost in the league? I don't think it's a matter of being carried away as such. I think Arsenal fans know that it's, well, Mikel Arteta said it many times before, it is a process and one result after a poor start to the season isn't going to change too much as all points are ultimately equal. But it, it, they played really well in the first half. It was just terrific watching mm. Emil Smith-Rowe, Bukayo Saka. I thought Granit Xhaka was uh, remarkable. Obviously, he was injured in the game, but yeah, I, I think they played really well. It's not, it, it, obviously, it's the North London derby. It's the big game. The point matters more to the fans, but they know that it is a process. But the future does look bright for them. I think the young players that Arsenal have with um, both Smith Rowe, Saka, but also in the academy, they've got some really bright players like Charlie Patino. Um, I think the future is is very bright. I don't know whether it's under Mikel Arteta or another manager or under different owners, perhaps, but the players are definitely there. They've got great foundations with young talent that have already been finely tuned by Arteta. As much as he's been a bit of a, a problem in certain ways for the club, maybe he's hindered their present development the fu- for the future. He's really set them out to be. Um, I, I think they're going to return to what they once were, um, if, if I can, if I can say that in a way. But 
yeah, it, it, today they played they played well. They played really well, and Spurs fans will be um, not very happy with the result. Well, no, that's Definitely. probably putting it mildly. Yeah, I don't imagine if there was. I don't know if there is a Spurs fan TV, but I imagine if it was, there would be plates thrown at the wall, so to speak. It was quite a dramatically poor, not very exciting or or, or thrilling performance by any stretch of the imagination. It was haphazard. But just going back to Arsenal, we'll stick with those for for a short period of time. Uh, Callum, I think it's really no. I mean, Charlie just talked about whether Mikel Arteta can carry the team forward. I'd say there was a point that at the start of the season, he was just going with the with the same tactics that he would play now with a far inferior team. He started the game against Brentford on the first day of the season with only White, Tierney, Shaka and Smith-Rowe, who played against Tottenham in that starting eleven, which means that seven new players were in the starting eleven to, play, to face Tottenham from what was the starting eleven on that very first game of the season, which shows a dramatic transition from what he had right at the start to what he has available now. And to be honest, in the past three games against my team Burnley and against Norwich, that's three wins, two clean sheets, with this similar setup, it looks a lot more convincing what they're trying to do compared to in the first three games where they played some tougher op- opposition alongside Brentford with a lot of players in the starting eleven that were on the periphery or that were arguably, you know, dead, considered deadwood by most of the Arsenal fans. Yeah, I mean, as well, I think, like, um, Arsenal, they sort of had it, they've had those few little uplifting moments, like bringing Odegaard back, who was probably the shining, on the shining lights in the very sub-par season last year, bringing him back on a permanent, you know, that's a natural mood booster around the club. I think he's also made some very big and brave calls to drop Bernd Leno for a goalkeeper who'd been relegated twice, uh, who a lot of people have their doubts about, myself included, but he seems to have had two very good games so far. And, you know, it's two games, so you can't say he's proved himself wrong. Three, as you correct me, but regardless, three games, two games, whatever, still not enough to fully convince that he's the best option for the long term. But I just think sort of that they've got a bit of stability now. It's like they've they've had the same sort of side that's come out. You know, I think, you know, they sort of linked up really well together. The front three, Smith-Rowe, Aubameyang, Saka looks so exciting going forward today. And, you know, it sort of, as Charlie said, you know, these games mean a lot to the fans, but I think it was a real statement by Arsenal today, almost sort of, you know, a lot of criticism and it's almost like they sort of came into the game without any pressure on them because no one really for the, for the first time in a long time this was a North London derby it wasn't hyped up like it usually is you know it's usually sort of these two are going to be challenging for the top four but it's almost sort of like which which one isn't as bad as the other and I think Arsenal you know I think Arsenal is so much more stable you know Arteta he has his flaws but I also think he is I do think he isn't that bad of a manager to be honest and I think he he sort of he, he works with these players well and I think he is he, he can get the best out of them whether it's a long-term thing I don't know but he's almost sort of like that perfect person to lay the foundations isn't he you know he sort of pick, picked up a lot of broken pieces and sort of you know he's had a lot to deal with as well the owners and stuff you know there's a lot of animosity towards them so he sort of it's almost sort of like the glue, isn't he? That's just keeping it together. And, you know, 
whilst he may not win them titles, he might not even get them back into the Champions League. I think people look back at Arteta and sort of probably give him a bit more credit than he actually has had in recent mm. times. Today proves that to me. Yeah, I mean, you touch on Ramsdale. I think one of the things I noticed particularly with Ramsdale that's different from Leno, and I noticed as watching the game last week actually against Burnley, is how commanding he is and how vocal he is, constantly shouting at his defence. Maybe he got that from being frustrated at Sheffield United and Bournemouth with the amount of chances that were being given up. But he was constantly shouting at his, the people in front of him. He was constantly barking orders, marshalling people around. He was happy to come out and claim crosses. His distribution, by the way, was much better than I had him down for which was perhaps a bit ignorant on my part because at Sheffield United and at Bournemouth, more so Sheffield United, there was much more of an emphasis on just hitting the ball long. Whereas at Arsenal, of course, it's out from the back, mid-range passes, as well as the occasional long ball. And I think Ramsdale coming in for Leno, who I actually liked, by the way, has made a substantial difference, as well as the back four, of course, actually looking like a very good, competent back four. But with at the back, with Ramsdale you have that confidence and assurance and, and exuberance of a younger goalkeeper that's out to prove himself. But with Leno, I think it started the season almost, he wasn't sure where his future was. He wasn't sure, you, you know, whether it seemed as though he's, he'd been a while since he'd got, had his best days in an Arsenal shirt, so to speak. So straight away, I think from the back, with the new instilled defence, with the new goalkeeper, it's given them a platform for the forward stars to really build from, hasn't it, Charlie? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think the problem with Leno, um, it was he was just very inconsistent. Each week it was a different performance. There was a bit of... Um, I think it was a bit confusing about his style as a keeper some days. And I think what Ramsdale has done since coming in, he's provided some, some really strong performances, but it, it's been consistent. You can tell that he's commanding, that he's... He, he's reliable. I think for his age, I think he's still he's still young for a keeper. And obviously, I think there was a bit of underwhelm, underwhelming, underwhelmingness. Arsenal fans. Underwhelmingness. Yeah, <laughs> that's well, definitely all right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, there were those sorts of feelings coming from Arsenal fans when he signed. But I think he's he's started the season proving them wrong. I think he's been. For, for a team that has just been devoid of leadership for a couple of years now, um, he seems to be—he seems to be really commanding, and he, he gets the players in front of him, whether that's the defence, but also get, threading through to the midfield and the attack. He gets them—he gets them going. Really, he, he's shouting at them as, as mm. you touched on, mm. and this leadership—it's—it's just—it's vital for Arsenal. And I think that win, I think leadership ultimately characterised it. Um, and Ramsdale was, was excellent once again. Yeah, I mean, you, not not to bring my club into it, but I will do slightly. When Tom Heaton came to Burnley as a, as a, the as the goalkeeper, it was so noticeable what a vocal captain or not cap. Well, he was captain, but a vocal presence between the sticks does do to a team and a defence. Because when Joe Hart played, as good a shot stopper as he was, he didn't have that the same level of vocalness, the same level of organisation. It really made a difference, despite the fact he was a good shot stopper. The defensive front of him wasn't as clean, wasn't as organised. And then when Tom Heaton did return to the team when Burnley were in a slump, 
there was a massive improvement in terms of organisation in front and defensive shape. So I think that is an underrated quality, and I think that's something Ramsdale has. You touched on leadership, Charlie. Of course, Tommy Asu coming in at right back. He's also another vocal presence at the back. Gabriel leads, well, I think, with this with the with the style of performance and the level of performance that he delivers. Tierney, of course, leader. Shaka can be a leader when he stays on the pitch, and they've got a, quite a lot of relatively young leaders and people with passion and that I think will help drive them forward different story for Tottenham of course as I say three wins on the spin at the start of the season Nuno Espirito Santo manager of the month one month later probably whatever the opposite of manager of the month is that's probably what Nuno Espirito Santo is can't really think of the word it's like uh, disaster of the month Maybe, maybe that works. That's a mean word. I like Nuno. Um, I think ever since I found out that he gave 250,000 of his own money to a local homeless charity, I found him so endearing. And then when he, when he beat Man City on, the, when it, on his first interview just before the Man City game, he was just so happy to be there. I thought, oh, Nuno, please do well. And then he, he got three wins. I thought, oh, Nuno, I, you know, what a, what a man. It's just, it's just not gone quite too well and I I sort of think about it in the way that everyone all the Tottenham fans were really happy when Harry Kane stayed and they're like oh yes our, our star players back that means we're going to go in the right direction but it's almost as if it's given them a, a knock the other way because before that they'd beat Man City they looked kind of okay they'd done okay against Wolves both of which they didn't start with Harry Kane and now Harry Kane's back in the team it's like oh, what are we doing now? Are we trying to play a brand without him where everyone's in a system or are we trying to play through Harry Kane because he's our best player, a world-class forward? And to be honest, I think this month at Tottenham, one word comes to mind, Callum, and that's probably confused. Um, but today, Tottenham's performance, um, I thought about this before we went on and I didn't know how I was going to go about it, but I think it is the right word. I thought they were pathetic today, to be honest. I thought they were absolutely diabolical. And I don't think they've been good at all this season. I, I think, bar the Man City game, maybe, but I still don't think they were that great against Man City. I just think they were a bit more defensively organised. But you ask most Spurs fans, even in the other two games, they won 1-0. They weren't convinced at all. Mm. And then since then... Easily brushed aside by a Palace side where they should be winning. You know, that they were torn apart by an Arsenal side, which is uh, meant to be an Arsenal team in disarray. Spurs are an absolute mess, to be honest. Um, it's been a mess from the start of the season. You know, when you're appointing your, what was he, fifth, sixth choice manager, mm. you know that there's problems already because there's five other people that have said, I don't want that job. They made an absolute disaster of not keeping hold of, uh, by keeping hold of Harry Kane. But even then, was there any guarantee that they were going to invest the money wisely had they got that? Um, just there's just so many, there's so many things you could go on all day about it. I, I think the football that Spurs play isn't exciting to watch. Like uh, some some of the signings, you know, half of them aren't featuring. in. Yeah, you know, they're not even featuring Harry Kane just doesn't want to be there. It's quite obvious. Yet they still play. And Nuno seems to be playing him in this sort of almost deeper role, doesn't he? It just, it just seems to be in an area where you don't want a man who scores your goals. To be to fair, be he off. does that of his own accord, though, doesn't he, these days? 
Yeah, he does, but I don't think I almost don't think that Nuno has the. I don't know what the right word doesn't have the sort of. He's not capable of telling Harry Kane you need to stay up front because you can score goals for us. Mm. They're just a, they're just an absolute disaster. I, 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 Spurs are miles off the pace. What they are, I'll be amazed if Nuno is there by the end of the season. But who on earth is taking that job? Who's yeah. going to take? Conte turning down, Francesca turning down. They have to turn down Gattuso due to sort of fan pressure. You know, who is realistically going to take on Spurs? I think that there's so many things wrong. In the, mm. You know, sort of the arrogance of Daniel Levy when it first sort of came out, you know, like you said, there was a lot of sort of, oh, he stayed, you know, that's 1-0 Levy. But I think he's missed out big time because Harry Kane's value is only going to drop as he gets older. Mm. And, you know, if he's not playing well now, then people are going to look at him and go, you know, well, should we really spend that money on him after all if he's not mm. going to play well? I, did, I, I could go on all day about how poor Spurs are, but today, like, proved it for me. I thought they were shambolic at times. They, mm. they just look they look like 11 uninterested players on the pitch with a manager who sort of, he knows that he wasn't first choice here, but he likes the job, he likes the lifestyle, but he's just not cut out for Spurs, I don't think. I don't know. I don't know who, who would be cut out for Spurs, really. As you say, none of the elites want it. None of the progressive, you know, upcoming managers really want it either. So maybe he is cut out for Spurs because no one else wants it. Um, I guess, Charlie, from, from uh, Callum touched on Harry Kane, there's a possibility that it's similar to the Virgil van Dijk situation way back when, where... Van Dyke does carry on playing till Christmas, albeit not quite at his maximum, and then gets the move to Liverpool that he inevitably wanted. Now, of course, Kane won't go to Liverpool, barring some miracle, but is there a chance that Manchester City come calling in January and then Daniel Levy says, you know what, probably best that we do part ways? If I'm honest, I think their interest is, after this start to the season, I'm not sure how it will continue it, uh, leading up to... January, but I'm not sure they'll be as interested, especially paying that sort of money for him. I think Spurs, if if City aren't paying um, as much money as Spurs want, which is I think like 150 million or something, might be a bit of a drop. Perhaps, yeah, might it, it, it'd be a significant drop. I, I think they should have definitely um, found a way to sell him in the summer and reinvest that into lots of different younger players into players that can fit under one identity. Because I think, because Callum touched on it there um, really well, um, it's, there's a lot of misidentity really, I think. But it's it's not just from Nuno, because he hasn't had long enough to in, in the job to really forge an identity. It's, it's coming from top to bottom, from Levy to just the players. They, there's not really an idea. They're a bit lost. Um, they're not really progressing as a club. And I think ever since um, Pochettino was sacked, they've just, they've, they've kind of stood still as a club. And that's that's something that's really worrying for a club like Tottenham, who are known for being progressive. And although they might not win trophies every, every year, they, they, they always had a, a playing style of, an identity, and I think under Nuno, that's kind of a blur now. A bit. Well, it went under Jose, um, didn't it? Under Jose Mourinho, really, the, the style. 
it did it did but the thing that jose had jose was also he, he did seem commanding and i think nuno's lost that as well and there were i think there were chances of getting sacked in the morning but maybe maybe more from arsenal, arsenal i think it probably was from fans. arsenal fans to be fair but yeah, i don't know probably <laughs> probably but um yeah i think i think to sack him would be wrong but then again it goes back to the recruitment that I think the recruitment of Nuno was also wrong. I don't think he fits any vision. I don't think he's an especially um, amazing manager as such. I think at Wolves, he kind of digressed towards the end of his tenure. I think... Sorry, Yeah, in 1819 season, he he, he got his team playing unbelievable... At Wolves, uh, unbelievable counter-attacking, mm. liquid football. Mm. Um, but I don't think I, I don't think he's really interested in play, in getting his teams to play like that anymore. I, well, clearly because of the last the last year and a half, mm. his teams have just played a bit defensive, a bit. Well, Wolves' season last 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 year wasn't wasn't anything special like mm. it had been. In the past, and I don't know. Yeah. I think he's a bit lost. Yeah, and yeah, they, they, yeah. yeah. yeah they I, could I, have better. I think you're yeah. you're right. To be fair, it's uninspiring given the last season at Wolves. I mean, Nuno's time at Wolves was a roaring success, given how he took them from the Championship to Europe to the latter stages of the Europa League. And as you say, Charlie, yeah. quite right to say in the early seasons of the Prem, in the first season of the Premier League, and the second season of the Premier League, and in Europe, they played some brilliant football. But the final season of Nuno Espirito Santo at Wolves was pretty poor in terms of the football that was played, in terms of what was what was going on on the field. The style was really, really poor and they threw in some terrible results. So I suppose on the back of that season to appoint Nuno Espirito Santo, on the back of that season was probably a little bit reflective of Tottenham's struggle to get a new manager in. And yeah, I think that sort of hit the nail on the head. As far as that goes, so much to talk about really with the North London Derby. Two huge, huge teams going through really, really strange periods, both up and down and round and round. And it's, it's quite remarkable, really. It really is. Um, the first game of the weekend, though, I think it was the first game. Yes, it was, because there was no Friday night game. Chelsea and Man City, I thought, was a, was a wonderful tactical battle game of chess. And in many ways, Man City, for me... Uh, Maybe I'm overstating this, but from what I can think, it could be the most impressive Premier League performance of 2021 for me. What Manchester City did going to Stamford Bridge at the home of the European champions, who were playing wonderful football and were many people's favourites for the title. And Callum, from minute one to minute 90, they absolutely dominated Chelsea on and off the ball. It was a 1-0 domination and Pep Guardiola got his tactics absolutely spot on. Yeah, this was a pep masterclass, uh, if I say so. Um, you know, the last few times he's played Tuchel, and obviously in the, when they were together in the Bundesliga, Pep always came out on top. But up until this, uh, Tuchel had come out up on top, including the Champions League final. So I think this was a big sort of, you know, moment for Man City. You know, I think there, there were fans, there were people within their fan base saying if they'd lost this one, then the title race may already be a struggle. You know, there'd been a lot of sort of heated build-up between Guardiola and the supporters, but I think Man City were 
sensational, to be honest. It wasn't one of those like Man City ones where they brush you aside by five or six. This was a disciplined, tactical display. And uh, to be honest, I think what for, for all of Man City's efforts, I don't think Chelsea were very good, actually. I think Chelsea were quite lacklustre. I think uh, that's kudos to Man City, though, for the way they sort of nullify Chelsea. But I think that if you, this is why I said at the start of the season, I don't think Chelsea will win the league because I, I, they have these moments in the two shell where they, they look sort of void of ideas, you know, so they weren't playing to Lukaku's strengths on the pitch. And we all know what Lukaku's brilliant at. And sort of, you know, a lot of the build-up as well was Chelsea have got this unbelievable striker at the top. Man City don't have a out-and-out striker as such, but ironically, it was the one with the number nine on the back of his shirt that scored for Man City. Um, yeah, I, I thought just everywhere across the park, I thought Cancelo was was brilliant, sort of, on that left-hand side. Walker, fantastic. You know, I think Chelsea maybe missed Mason Mount a little bit, sort of his energy in midfield. But then again, when you've got Kovacic, Kante and Jorginho as a midfield three, you know, you've got Kante, he's practically two engines within himself. Thought, I didn't think Werner had too bad of a game, but I just don't think Chelsea were good enough, quite simply, on the day. I thought it's probably testament that if Mendy wasn't in goal, it would have been more, I would say. Yeah. I think so. I mean, interesting you mentioned the the lack of a striker or well, Jesus kind of operating from the right, but also in in the in the number nine position in in almost a fluid fr- in almost a fluid front three. Got there in the end. I think it was quite interesting how Manchester City, you know, obviously without that defined striker, and they had so much interchanging throughout the entire game. It was almost like it helped them to dominate in the way that they dominated on and off the ball because. Without having that recognised focal point in attack, the back three of Chelsea are thinking, well, do we push up? Do we go? Who do we go after? Who are we marking? They were dragged all around the pitch at times. Manchester, uh, the Chelsea defence, when the Manchester City abundance of midfielders all came in and started passing the ball around. Bear in mind, of course, Foden and Grealish were in that front three, both of which both of whom, sorry, could play in the midfield three, probably, arguably. And in that midfield three, you also have Bernardo Silva and Kevin De Bruyne. Just behind them, you had Rodri. Cancelo likes to drift in and, and uh, in as an inverted fullback. Walker likes to get into the centre of the pitch. So they had so many people, I think, Man City, who you know, are comfortable playing in the middle of the pitch. Even not having that striker, it's like another person who can drop in and play like they are in the middle of the pitch. Do you think, Charlie, that not having that recognised striker actually made them have an even firmer grip on that particular game? Yeah, I think it's it's almost a blessing in disguise, really. I think we go, if we go back to talking about Harry Kane and whether he'll be the right fit for City, I just don't think he suits their playing style. And I think if they're to spend that much money on an out-and-out striker, it should be one who is more of an advanced forward. A bit like, a, I don't think the tactics have completely moved on since Aguero. And I think Pep knows that he wants a more advanced forward, someone who can get in behind. And Harry Kane isn't like that. And I think, as you touched on there, they City don't City have lots of talent. That's not what they're worried about. It's about getting their players to play in the right in the right style. To um, they're playing up from the back, going through midfield, using the wingers. It it it, it worked really well yesterday. Or against against Chelsea, they were terrific but also defensively they were just 
I thought I thought uh, Ruben Diaz was the best player on the pitch. I thought he was outstanding, mm-hmm. keeping Lukaku quiet um, the whole game. But yeah, I, I I think Jesus out on the left of it. He, he he works there. He's he's not an out and out striker. I don't think. I don't think he's got that commanding quality that other strikers do. Maybe you're Lukaku or um, Chris Ronaldo Wood. or so, Chris, Chris Wood, uh, Troy Deeney. Um, hmm. But um, yeah, I think I think it is almost a blessing in disguise for them not having an an out and out striker currently because it brings the other players into play well. It, they can they can thread through really nice attacks and yeah they proved it yesterday they completely dominated it's just it's not I don't even think Chelsea were that poor it's just Pep out tactics Tuchel and Mm. they just played better yeah well yeah I think it's really interesting how the whole summer everyone was saying how much uh, I always say this narrative so it's probably boring now if you listen to previous pods but when Everyone said that Chelsea needed to, sorry, Manchester City needed to sign a striker so desperately. If they'd have beaten Chelsea in the final of the Champions League, a Champions League final, which I actually think Guardiola outthought himself with his selection, then they'd have won the treble without having a striker for virtually the whole season. So I don't know where the clamber was for them to replace Aguero, who they basically didn't have for the entirety of last season. Now, obviously... On paper, if you said, would they sign Grealish or Kane? To be honest, I, I'm slightly in disagreement, Charlie. I'd probably go Kane because of how he, he drops deep and how, how, he, how he sort of enjoys being a part of the play all the time. I actually think he'd be quite well suited to Man City in many ways. But nonetheless, like, like, like we just sort of said, why would they pay £150 million when they were one game off the treble? Am I missing something there or... Or, you know, I don't know. I think, it, I think it's more sort of, yeah, Aguero didn't play last season, but how consistent has Aguero been on a regular basis? It's not just been, this is like years and years. And yeah, he didn't play much last season, but he still played and he still contributed a little bit. So I think it's more of having that definitive player that, you know, like regardless of all the goals that were in the Man City squad, you knew Aguero was going to be top of the scoring charts every year. This year and maybe last year, you didn't, you didn't really know, did you? So it's more having that definitive person that you're like, right, this like at Chelsea, you know Lukaku's going to be the top goal scorer. At United, you know Ronaldo's going to be the top scorer. Mm. At Liverpool, you know Salah's being top scorer. You, at Man City, you honestly don't know who's going to come out on top of the charts. So having sort of like... Who do you mark you know, then? If you had Harry Kane there, you would bet your money that Harry Kane's finishing top goalscorer for Man City. I think it's just having that sort of central figure point who will week in, week out, score goals to you and not sort of, you know, Ferran Torres will chip in with two, but then mm. he might not score for another couple of weeks, but then mm. he'll score two. It's very frustrating, actually. When he scored two, I brought him into my fantasy team, in which time he's been dropped for two games and he doesn't seem to be wanting to get back into the team. Very frustrating for that, uh, personally, for me. Um, But, yeah, no, you make a fair point, I suppose. Uh, I would argue probably that having the share ability of getting 
10, you know, four, five, six players who can get 15 plus goals is actually just as scary as we saw at times last season when you literally don't know who to mark. You literally don't know who the key man is. If you mark out two or three players, you've got another two or three that are very much capable of banging the ball into the top corner as well. I mean, I, I don't think we need to really touch too much on Chelsea. It wasn't the best day at the office, but they had such a, you know, they've had such a strong start to the season. I don't think that's going to go away. I still think they're one of the favourites for the league and they could easily win the league still. They've got, fantastic setup fantastic manager it just wasn't their day and th- these things happen last week man city drew nil nil with southampton so it's going to be i suppose one of those exciting league seasons where we don't know who's going to win uh, and that's how we like it well that's how we like it as people fans or, or followers of clubs that aren't involved in that title right so i should add um with a with a certainty but it wasn't a good day and we'll sort of clamber these two together for man united or for liverpool really and there were slightly different reactions i suppose charlie to both of these because the liverpool game was a fantastic six goal thriller with the brentford team that are just a joy to watch uh and they have been from the very start whereas man united at home at old trafford massive sense of negativity in that because they really struggled to carve out big chances in that game. The ones that did, Mason Green would have missed a fairly decent opening in, in the in the first half. And then, of course, at the end, the Bruno Fernandes penalty miss that, that, that got the headlines. But two missteps, uh, misstep, sorry, from two, two teams that you'd expect to be in the title hunt. <sighs> we'll start with United. There's been a few poor results of late for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, but this isn't new territory, is it? This, these things have happened before at United, and the manager, to be fair to his credit, has always res- got his team to respond in the right way during these slumps that he's suffered. Yeah, he, he has. He's. I don't think this is a result to be overly panicking about. I think it's, 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 just, it's just an upset. These things do happen. Um, and Villa were were very good at keeping United quiet. As you said, they didn't create so many chances that were that really could have given them a foothold in the game. They were poor, but I think when you look at the rest of their, their games this season, I think you can even go back to Newcastle at 4-1. They were just playing wonderful football with with a style and with, with they've got amazing talent. They've got Cristiano Ronaldo. They've got Paul Pogba, Bruno Fernandes. Um, I, th- I, th- I think it's not really something to get overly panicked about. This is one result that's poor. But Sol- Solskjaer, can, he- he's done it before. Um, he- he'll-, he'll do it again. He'll, he'll-, he'll bring them out of a-, of a slump well. And they are favourites to, the- to win the league for me, I think, after signing. Cristiano Ronaldo and I, I think they can I think they can still achieve it I don't think a 1-0 loss against Aston Villa is going is the be all and end all of a, of the season I think they've still got quality they've got style and they've got they've got a good manager in my opinion I think Solskjaer is underrated I think he's got he's improved as a, as a, as a coach Would you have him at Watford? Um God, it's complicated at Watford. Um, probably not, to be honest. I don't think. Mm. I think this sort of manager, Solskjaer, you've got to give him time, like like the Glazers have done. They've given him time, and I think if you just look at the track record of of, of our owners, Gino Potter, 
I think, yeah, well, it, it's what we're known for, Watford, because uh, I'm a Watford fan. Yeah. But um, sacking managers very quickly. And it's, it's a bit similar to Mikel Arteta in the fact that it's a process. Um, mm. And it has been a process for United, and they were they were they were six when when he, he yep. joined. And he, he he's he turned it he's turned it around with the help of cash injections. But <laughs> I, I probably wouldn't have him at Watford just because of, I don't think he'd really be very fitting to our no. to what our own owners want. No, I think that's very. I, I was only being facetious a little bit there. To be fair, I think um, <laughs> I think. I think it's interesting. You say Man United are title favourites. Right now, I look at the state of play, I actually think fourth favourites, you know, and I, and I say that because I, I, I've i always been a, a, a backer of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, really. I think his man management's been excellent because when you have those bad moments, it's testament to how good your man management is that you continually get out of them and that you push on from that. And I think United have done that, done that time and time again. However, if we do keep seeing some slumps across the season then that will limit just how far you can go now it's not be, they've been getting they've had top four of consecutive seasons which has been fantastic and it's something no manager post Ferguson's been able to do but whether they can carry that forward requires another level of consistency which requires less slumps than they've had in recent seasons and I'm not sure he can do that as effectively maybe as some of his colleagues or, or rivals uh, managers with Thomas Tuchel we know is a fantastic tactician Pep Guardiola the same Jurgen Klopp his record at Liverpool speaks for itself as well now he's got his defence back at barring this 3-3 they've actually looked quite solid at the back so it is really interesting to, that, you, that you say that they're favourites because they've got a very very good playing squad but he's up against three world-class managers and I do think when the playing squads are similar the world-class managers probably will make the difference. And I hope I'm wrong because I do like Solskjaer as a man. I do think he deserved his new contract and I do think that he deserves to carry on in this job. But the competition is very, very, very high. I don't know what you think about that, Callum, maybe with with reference to those. Yeah, I mean, I I was walking past Old Trafford yesterday and, you know, you were the, the classic sort of fickle football fan moment, people shout, you know, oh, he's got to go and all this, but he doesn't, he, he's a he's a very good man management. I think, I think almost sort of the Ronaldo signing has sort of increased the pressure tenfold and everyone sort of automatically made them title favourites because of one player, which granted, I know Cristiano Ronaldo is nine times out of ten the difference between a trophy and not. Um, but he didn't score yesterday and they lost. Um but I think, you know, Villa played very well. Villa were very resolute in the way they defended. I thought Dean Smith set them up perfectly. And, you know, um, we said sort of, you know, there's a lot of focus on United, but I'm just going to put a bit of focus on Villa here. I think, you know, a lot of people were quick to put them down after Grealish went, but I, I think it's quite clear to see that as a squad, they're a much better unit now. Mm. They've got more options and sort of, they're a bit more of an unknown entity, whereas last time it was just Grealish, wasn't it? Who was going to get the ball? They've got different options, different players, and you know they they're going to cause teams problems. They'll do well, but um, just going back to United, I, I I think they'll be in the title race. I don't think they'll win it because I think Man City and Chelsea are better sides than them, even Liverpool to some extent. But I think um, they'll be in and around. But like you said, I just think they have one too many mistake in them. I think maybe, I think I, I still think they need a number six. 
to be considered definitive title challengers. I mean, I think they've got the centre back problem sorted. I mean, Varane and Maguire, it's it's a brick wall. De Gea is pretty much back to his best. Or well, back to his better, probably. I would say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe maybe not entirely best, but then again. How how long's there's there's lots of different. I feel like there's still more questions and answers with United in different areas. Like the hair has got better, but is he still going to be there next season? You know, like are they actually going to sign the number six next season or whatnot? And there's still a few questions to be asked. But I, 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 in the same way that we said, like Arteta is a good foundation builder. I think Oli, there's not many people that no. can do the job that Ollie's doing right now for United. I'd I agree. Like Ollie said as well, a bit of an overreaction as well. Just one game, isn't it? It's a long old season. I suppose it's on the back of the Club Bruges and the 1-0 defeat to West Ham in the Cup. I suppose that's probably the cumulative effect. Yeah, yeah one game in the league. One game in the league. I think you sort of, you touched on Villa. Villa-Brentford, I'm going to group together briefly and just say what, you know, that these teams are actually rather good. Certainly better than quite a lot of teams in the league. Brentford, we know, bloody good football team, if I can say that, in terms of how they play. Almost a combination of Brighton and Burnley. They've got the uh, the directness of, of, of my team that can be very awkward, very ugly and very uh, wonderfully something housery. I don't think I can say that word uh, when it when it matters. But they've also got Brighton's ability to play between the lines with with a with a considerable considerable ease and fluency, and to have both of those attributes in your game is wonderful. It makes it very very difficult to play against, and that's why I, I wouldn't read too much into it for Liverpool. Everyone's saying the defense was all over the place. This Brentford team create a lot of chances. They are very very wily, very very good, very very mature, and it feels like they've been up for a long time. And just to go back what Callum said on Aston Villa. Again, back three again, another back three system, a three-five-two. Matt Target and Matty Cash like to bomb forward, gives them more license because they're wing backs they can tuck in and it's a back five, it's tough to break down. Midfield three, including Douglas Louise and John McGinn, tenacious, strong, good in the tackle, good at getting the ball forward. McGinn, for me, one of the more underrated performers in the league. I think it's a joy to watch. And then having the five-three-two means that you can have Watkins and Ings as a partnership. And that's something I think many Villa fans wanted to see as soon as Danny Ings came. What would that mean for Watkins? Would Watkins go out wide? No, we can play them together. And even better, they have options off the bench, the likes of Leon Bailey, who Callum loves, some superstars in that team who can come on to change a game. So, yeah, maybe a slight overreaction because the two teams that, the, that Man United and Liverpool were playing are actually quite good, I think. Um, are actually quite good. I'll move the discussion on slightly just for the sake of moving the discussion on. That's what I'm here to do. I think we'll, we'll, we'll go to, we'll go to we'll start some of our quick round, quicker roundups. We'll start at Watford, Charlie. We'll start with Watford because that's an interesting one. That's almost a six pointer, isn't it? Between Watford and Newcastle, one, one uh, Newcastle having 20 shots. Quite frankly, I'm not sure how they didn't win that game, but important point nonetheless is, is your team bids to, Bids to beat the drop uh, at the first time of asking after coming back up. Yeah, it was it, it was a closer game than I think the, the stats have have shown. I, I was there and Newcastle did have some absolutely gaping opportunities to put the game to bed. I think um, Sam Maxman was through on goal and um, he should, probably should have chipped Ben Foster, but he, he played it to Sean Longstaff and he missed an open goal. Mm-hmm. from 
like ten yards out, and that was a bit of a, a, a probably a kick in the gut for them. But mm. I think I think it was a it was a close game. It, I thought Watford played played well. I don't think we we played badly as such. I just think um, cer- certain players were were very good. Danny Rose. Former Newcastle loanee, but he was—he's been an incredible signing for uh, the Hornets since since joining. He's every single game he's played, he's been absolutely terrific with amazing work rate. Um, and Newcastle—they they played well too. It, it was a—it was a close game, as, I, as I've said. And it was—it was a six-pointer. Um, so naturally, no one won. <laughs> yeah, it's—it's it's a bit of a shame that. For both sets of fans, that it was a draw, but at the end of the day, it was a fair result. And I don't, I don't think Watford fans are going to be complaining too much, considering the chances that Newcastle had. But yeah, it's it's a it's a bit of a disappointment that mm. we've we've only won two games this season and we got seven points. Mm. I don't know. I imagine, I imagine the just to sort of conclude that I imagine for both teams the successes will be reliant on certain individuals. Watford, Saar, one hundred percent superstar, superstar, yeah. and then obviously Newcastle, Alan St Maximan. For me, wow, I, I, you know, hairs are on end when I'm watching him. He's just a, just a joy to watch and, and and for Newcastle fans, they're so lucky to have him, especially amid the crisis that they're in. So yeah. The individuals for both teams, I think, will be absolutely key come the end of the season. Callum, Southampton Wolves. Uh, I didn't see this, so you did. Reflections. Well, first half was um, abysmal from both sides. Uh, but second half, I think the the main story is Raul Jimenez scored his first goal back since that horrid horrid injury and it was just such it was one of those moments where it was just you felt really happy to be seeing it watching the Wolves fans bedlam behind the goal when you scored everyone celebrating it's just such a wonderful moment for football in itself seeing someone come back from such a horrid injury look so many people saying you're never gonna he's never gonna play again and the um Obviously, he scored the defining goal, and it was sort of a trademark Raul goal, you know, sort of jinxing in and in between. Lovely finish. Um, uh, Southampton had their chances. Um, sort of James Will Proud had a free kick, but Jose Saar sort of recovered well after almost gifting Southampton a goal in the first half. I thought Tino Livramento down the right hand side again for Southampton was very. Very exciting to watch. Um, you can see why Chelsea put that buyback clause in there because mm. he's a wonderful talent. Um, I don't think it's a game that will be remembered for the quality. I think it will be just remembered for being sort of a, a beautiful moment that Raul got his first goal back and just a reminder that no matter what happens, you can you can do anything still, no matter how bad it it seems at first. It was just it was one. It was really poignant, and you know Bruno Large at the end. Celebrate with the Wolves fans. It was really nice to see. Actually, I've 
enjoyed watching Wolves so far this season. It's been very nice to watch. I agree, actually. I think they're, they're certainly on the front foot. Exciting. The points tally's a lie, I think, as far as Wolves, Wolves are concerned. To be fair, the points tally's a lie as far as Southampton's concerned. I think they've actually done okay. They, they, they lost two games as well in six, but they've not won one, which is obviously the, the, the most disappointing thing for them. Now, I'll I'll probably take the lead on this one. I mean, it would, any other weekend, probably have been the main games, Callum's Leicester and my wonderful Burnley team. Uh, Callum spent a wonderful time, a wonderful gig. He's uh, had a very wonderfully busy week, which is probably why he looks absolutely exhausted as he talks through these games, um, which is fair enough. I've probably been there myself on certain days, but yeah, Leicester 2, Burnley 2 was quite a, a, an emotional roller coaster for me personally. Uh, just watching that uh, unfold, watching the best signing of the summer. It was the best signing of the summer, Charlie? Adam Aaron. Uh, the best signing of the summer. Yes. Captain Ducker. No, 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 no. Maxwell Corney. Watching Maxwell Corney come onto the field for the first time. I just time. wanted to say that to annoy you. <laughs> oh, well, you succeed. Uh, you, you'll have to try harder than that, my friend. Maxwell Corney coming onto the pitch. Honestly, I'll, I'll not lie. When I saw him last week come off the bench for his debut against Arsenal, he did two step-overs and I only had a heart attack. And the last time I've seen Burnley play do two step-overs in a game, well, I can't remember. It, it, and honestly, I was saying this actually to my dad. who used to, you know, he's also a very big Burnley fan. I was saying, how long has it been since there's been a player who actually made you sort of enjoy watching or, or you wanted to get the ball to him because you were so excited by what he could produce? It's been a long time. There's been a lot of functional players under Sean Dyche's Burnley regime. And this is the one of the very few who looks like someone who could just grab the game by the scruff of the neck. He scored an amazing goal. Amazing goal to put Burnley 2 on up at the King Power. Then he went off injured, which is quite obviously just, just tragedy written all over it. Burnley can't have nice things. It's probably what was being told. That's what the message was of the story. But on, in terms of the game, it's probably a fair result. Leicester... Jamie Vardy really carrying the Leicester attack with two goals, also scoring an own goal, missing various chances, setting up some teammates well in some situations, and then letting the link up play down in other situations. Very much a, a classic Jamie Vardy performance. Brilliant, strange, erratic, all over the place, but ultimately the two-goal hero. Um, so very, very interesting performance by him and Leicester, and they were a bit off cue. I actually thought, uh, you know, from Schmeichel and the defence, and Callum can probably vouch for that, there's a, there's a haphazard feel about the defence. It's all a bit patched together. And Schmeichel himself looked a bit iffy with his distribution, and it all yeah, kind that's, of... That's no surprise to hear. His, his distribution's been nothing short of terrible. And it, it really sort of lets him down because he would be in the top... I think he's in the top five goalkeeper conversation of his distribution. For, for all the... I think... It's, it's hard when you don't watch Michael week in, week out, because you see this wonderful shot stopper mm. and, you know, people go, wow, he, he's he's brilliant, but he, he can't command his box to save his life. He can't distribute. And this, is, this isn't just something that's a new thing. It's been happening for years. The defence, you said, uh, I was told reliably by my uncle that Vestergaard had a shocker at the back defensively. It was up against it, the mighty Vidra, though. That's, it's it's very... It's very patchy, sort of, you know, Evans just can't seem to get fit. Um, Fafana isn't there, you know, sort of, there's, it's just, there's a few weird things, you know, he took Luckman off. That was Hattie. odd. 
He was the best that player was, for Leicester look, going forward. Well, it, it says a lot that Lutman made more chances in one game than Madison has in the entire season so far. Um, you know, Dak has sat on the bench against, you know, against the Tyrant, Ben Me and Tarkovsky, you would maybe back him to do. Oh, and no. Then, yeah, not against Let comes off the bench and contributes to the game and provides the equaliser. How many times you, you can pull, pull your arms, but it's it's true. How many times has Ian, how many times have we seen Ian actually do this this season? Too many, and it's more well, not even just this season, last season. He needs to start. Yeah, the arms weren't necessarily Ian actual. It was more me thinking about how the goal went in and the That's... the ever reliable Nick Pope or not having the strongest of seasons. Usually, sort of look at, at the way Burnley won games in the past. You'd say Nick Pope, like many goalkeepers at the bottom, yeah, Carl Darlow springs to mind. Yeah, no, he, but he w- yeah, sorry, I keep doing that. He can come to Leicester if he wants, I'd have him. No, no, listen, Nick Pope's a wonderful goalkeeper and he's had a solid start to the season, but Nick Pope, when Burnley used to win games, close games, would put in a clutch performance where you'd say these were one or two saves, he denied a really good goal. If you look at the expected goals prevented table by goalkeepers, yes, I have looked at this, there's 26 goalkeepers that have played in the Premier League. Nick Pope now, I think, at 19th in a minus 1.2, which means that one of those goals that's gone in, he probably could have prevented now Nick Pope of the past it would have been a plus score where it's actually stopped and prevented some goals he'd expected to go in. He had an injury at the start of last season. He seems a little bit slowed down or a little bit iffy within his performance, not quite as secure as he used to be. Hasn't made too many big saves. Don't think it's too much of a concern. Hope he bounces back. Uh, and then hopefully some wins come along the way. Big game again, big game next week against Norwich, Charlie. Norwich didn't do very well again today. I'm astounded that I actually put Norwich to survive, given that they had sold Buendia, their best player, to Aston Villa. I thought, new season, having just gone down, stormed the championship last year, got Ben Gibson, got Gilmore in. I thought Rasicho was also a good signing from the Bundesliga and did really well in Germany. I thought, this is their time. And lo and behold, they are six games in and they've lost six games in the Premier League. It's not looking too good. It's, it's not looking good at all, really, is it? I think... They've lost every single game they've played, haven't they? I think of the last 16 Premier League games, they've all lost in a row. And that's just that's a hideous stat for, for Norwich fans and for, for Premier League fans. Um, I, I heard my mate talking the other day, mentioning the Derby, um, 11 points and whether Norwich were going to gonna beat that. And it's, it's just been a horrible start. Um, you know what's interesting though I feel like they they played actually quite well against Everton and it's almost like Farker's getting as much as he can out of them but when you do sell Buendia who was their creative hub was their best player last season and they they don't really replace it with the same calibre of player or certainly calibre of player they got Rasitra in but not someone proven at top flight level and then the majority of the squad of the one that came down and got relegated by a canter doesn't make for too good a reading is it almost like they're basically paying for another season of underspending when they've come up to the top level. Yeah, I think it, it's it's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? They they keep well, there's obviously tags of yo-yo clubs and whatnot, but they keep coming up and they 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 spend not not loads of money, but they they spend money on interesting players, but it never really clicks in the Premier League. I think um, Rashid Rashid Rashid, sir, he's 
I saw him against Watford. He was pretty poor. Mm. Uh, and against Everton, I, I'm, ju- I'm just not entirely convinced that he's really fit for the Premier League. I think a couple of seasons ago, he was he was linked with like a £40 million move to Aston Villa um, to replace yeah. Jack Grealish, wasn't he? And mm. yeah, I, I just don't, I don't really see too much, too, too many reasons why, but it, it's, a, it's early days for mm. him. Mm. But for, for Norwich, I just don't see a very hopeful season for them. It's no. been a terrible start and I just, I don't know. You 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 saw the Everton game more than I did. But, yeah. It, well, I mean, um, it, it was an Everton team as well without Richelle, there's no Dominic Calvert-Lewin. So the opportunity really was there with Rondon leading the line uh, and aging forward. Listen, I think the performance was really solid. And that's the point. If they're playing well and they're just not quite getting it right at both ends, then that's not really leading for too much optimism. It's not like you can sack the manager and suddenly it'll all go okay because if they're playing well, and they're actually, you know, doing okay across the board. And actually, they were a better team against Everton, arguably. But if they can't finish the chances or make the clinical pass and they can't necessarily tighten up in small areas at the back, then they are, unfortunately, going to be, well, in a very, very dire situation at the end of this season. Uh, just also not too good for Leeds, really, just briefly. Uh, also winless at the start of this season. We played West Ham over this, this week. They did lose... And they lost in the final minutes with Antonio banging another goal in. But Charlie, I mean, it's, I mean, it's it's heavily injury contributed, isn't it? It's heavily injury contributed because they had so yeah. many players out, including Bamford. But they started the season with some of these players, quite a number of the key men still playing, and it just seems like a little bit of a collective regression from Leeds from what we saw at the back end of last season, where I thought they looked a lot more mature as a team. Yeah, it's it's definitely. Um, worsened by injuries I think obviously they're winless which is not good and I'm sure Marcelo Bielsa um, is not is not happy I don't think Leeds fans are happy but against West Ham they, they didn't play badly I thought I, um, it seemed as if they played quite well it, it's just uh, Antonio his individual quality his, his goal his winner was just incredible he flicked it over um, I think it was strike, and he just put it in. I'm oh, not strike because he was sent off. But yeah, it's it, it's not really looking that great for for Leeds this season. They 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 keep playing well, as everyone knows. They play wonderful football, but injuries just mean they don't really have that cutting edge. Mm. Um, they can't really. Well, Bamford's obviously out, so they don't really have that that key striker who can who can score that many goals. And yeah, it, it, it's not looking great for them, but when, when their key players come back, it'll, yeah. it'll, it'll sort itself out, I think, a bit more. Yeah. West Ham, yeah. very, very good and still still powering on in Europe. Rafinha with a wonderful goal as well. Yeah, I think Leeds will be back. I think they need their injury, injured players back. I think they need to regain some kind of fitness as well because I just think collectively they just look a bit tired sometimes. And, and, and I don't doubt that Bielsa will get it right. I don't think they're in any danger of going down. When they're good, they're great. So I think we'll see them return to that. And they love the manager. I think there's no doubt about it. They love the manager. So I do think they will be back with a bang in not too distant future, I think. So, well hopefully anyway, for Leeds fans. Just to touch on a few European results before we pop off. Um, some, you know, PSG winning 2-0 this weekend, but Lionel Messi injured. And Lionel Messi actually 
Callum really, really. Ah. <laughs> I just thought, that, yeah. I went in, I, I and I just thought oh, there's a there's some puddle on the floor, and I was like, that's not mine because I've not been in here for ages. Air freshener in the plug socket leaked, fuming. So I, I, I might leave that in. I mean, my room smells lovely. My bathroom smells lovely, but it's just leaked everywhere. So I'm sorting that out. Air fresheners. Lino Messi. Fantastic. Lino Messi not feeling very fresh, obviously, mm-hmm. because he's he's on the he's on the sidelines, injured because of his air freshener breaking. No, he, he he didn't. He's not had a good start to PSG life, has he? He's not scored a goal. Ronaldo scored a few goals. He didn't share hands with Pochettino when he came off, although it seems like he had a slight injury when he came off, but he gave him a glare. You know, the glare that you kind of give when someone says something on a podcast you don't like. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I get it now. Getting it now from the blue square. <laughs> and Callum. <laughs> uh, for, for reference, Charlie's got a blue square. Callum's got a beautiful camera with him in it. And uh, I'm, well, I've also got a beautiful person in the beautiful camera. But yeah, I mean... It's interesting, isn't it? Because Lionel Messi signs a really, really, really big contract and he is injured now and I'm sure he will do well and they could win the Champions League. But where's the motivation for him to do well? Um, there isn't, is there? No. Is there one? He's, he's done everything he wanted to do in his career. It's, I said this when he joined PSG. I, I just didn't understand why. Yeah, they haven't won the Champions League, but he's done it in multiple times surely there was something else like maybe going even going back to Argentina or something like that that would have been quite a nice sort of swan song but it's just weird isn't it there's a lot of sort of I know PSG are winning games but there seems to be a lot of discontent in general around the club I've seen that um there was a rumoured clip of uh Mbappe complaining that Neymar doesn't pass to him oh, you know, poor he, Mbappe yeah, I know it, it, the hardships of being the Paris Saint Germain footballer, eh? Yeah. Um, you know, and sort of, you know, there's people questioning sort of they're winning games, but they're not winning them in sort of convincing fashion, are they? They're sort of scraping for it at the last minute. But 2 0 win against Montpellier, I tell you what, though, everyone yeah, talks about the superstars. You see the Idrissa Garner Gay goal. Woo! Yeah, well, Idrissa Garner Gay is. Horrifically underrated, he's probably the yeah. least super, yeah. least super of the superstars in that squad. But he, he was exceptional at Everton, and he it, he's fully deserving. Of, he deserves to be at a club like PSG. So, but it's just it, it's it's a weird vibe around PSG. I don't think they're going to win the Champions League anyway. Um, but yeah, it's not quite. Um, it's all a bit messy for Messi at the minute. I I think it's just blistering expectation that's just it's, it's just weakened them as a, as a club overall I think when you sign someone like Messi um, it, 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 it can go wrong I know he's the, I, I reckon he's the best player of all time uh, but it, it can go wrong it um, he, he hasn't had the best start to life but when there's this much expectation even though you're winning games it, for PSG it's just, it just doesn't create a very a healthy culture around the around the club, and I, I think you kind of need a good dressing room atmosphere. You need a good culture if you are going to win the Champions League, like they they so want to. Mm. And it, yeah, it's just a bit damaging for, for for them as a club. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I think when you reach a certain age, when you give a player an unlimited pay packet, I do. I do often think, well, you know, what we've seen so many occasions where it's the last big payday, and then you just think, okay, what am I doing after this? And I and I think we saw the same with the Bamiang. We saw the same with Urza. We saw the same with people. I know Messi's different. You would give Messi an, unpay, an unlimited pay packet, really, even just for the opportunity of having him at your club and then making all of that back, probably on shirt sales, if that's very possible. And PSG have a wonderful, make a wonderful amount of money from shirt sales. Uh, I'm reliably informed. But again, yeah, I think when the, you get to a certain age, when you're in your thirties, there is a, there is always that thing that at least tells me. Hmm, Maybe we don't give them this much money. And, and Liverpool will have a similar issue to that with Mohamed Salah, whether they do break the bank for him or not later down the line. And they will not want to do what Arsenal do with Aubameyang and overpay or overcompensate and give him, give him as much as they possibly can. They have to be smart and they have to negotiate well. And many clubs are like this. Uh, but again, it's a very different scenario with Messi at the helm as well. And just to, just to touch on Messi's old club, Barcelona, winning 3-0 against Yavante which is a very, very, very big result for them because Ronald Koeman has been under a lot of pressure. Memphis Depay, Luke de Jong scoring, but then on his return, Ansu Fati scoring, going to the doctor to celebrate. The doctor that helped him through the rough period that he's been. He's been injured for a long time. What a wonderful way to come back, scoring a goal. And the return of Fatty Callum is so big because Barcelona are going through such a tough time and this guy is the new prodigal son of sorts. Yeah, it's really nice to see. He's got a number 10 shirt now as well. No pressure. Um, he's a wonderful footballer, isn't he? And it's such a shame that he got injured, but he's young enough to recover. And it's a nice touching moment. He's him and Pedri are the future of Barcelona now, aren't they? So um, it's good to see them both sort of getting some good first team action together. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. We also had a few, well, a few other notable results. Bayern won three one on Friday night. Dortmund, however, losing one nil to Marco Rose's old club Mönchengladbach. Topsy turvy uh, opening for Marco Rosa at Borussia Dortmund. Uh, Derby della Capitale in Italy, five goal thriller. Lazio edging Roma by three goals to do so. That's Sarri coming out on top against Jose Mourinho, two ex Chelsea managers going toe to toe. Also back in La Liga, Real Madrid drawing nil nil with Villarreal, a Villarreal team who've gone a long, long time without winning a match. And well, the match they won last was against. Uh, Man United, I think, in the Europa League. So, and then that, that's there's quite a big span before that and after that that they've drawn a lot and they've not necessarily got too many over the line. But Real Madrid actually still top of La Liga because Atletico lost 1 0 to Deportivo. So, a bit of a staggered start for the team which I believe, or the club that which I believe, has the best squad in La Liga to actually win the league. Juventus winning 3 2 against Sampdoria. Such an important win for them. First home win of the season. Locatelli, summer signing on target with the decisive third goal for them. Struggled with life after Cristiano Ronaldo, man who got a lot of goals for them. But now Max Allegri will be hoping to turn the tide around. For more reaction and numerical results, please do look at Varvel and Geoscore, which is, I think is a partner of Varvel. They provide a wonderful outlook of results from across Europe, and of course, Varvel itself has a wonderfully dedicated European team who get round to some of the key results when they can, covering Bundesliga, Serie A and all of that good jazz. We've got some people for La Liga as well. So please do give them a look. And of course, please do look at the Varvel Premier League uh, coverage, the Varvel EFL coverage and the Varvel Women's League coverage, as well as all the other sports that we cover, such as tennis. My thanks to Charlie for being the youngest 
guest on the Marvel Football Thank Podcast. You. Thanks, Johnny. <laughs> My thanks to Callum for beating his obvious desire and urge to sleep getting through this podcast. He looks... I wouldn't say that. It's, it's been a long week and the uh, and start of a new adventure tomorrow. So it is, pretty, much, uh, pretty much nerves, I'll it's... say that. It's it's a very, very, I mean, I, I almost, yes, you've had a very busy week. I almost feel bad that you had to go through this, but I'm glad you did. Wonderful to I see you it. in HD. Wonderful to see Charlie's Blue Square in HD as well. For reference, I can see both of these people, uh, although Charlie's camera's a bit uh, not too good at the moment. Thank you for listening. Again, if you've got to this point, if you haven't got to this point, then if you skip to this point, then Greg, I can tell you now to give us a review a star rating, a subscribe. And of course, be sure to check out Volvo for all the latest wonderful reaction to news and, and opinion pieces like some of the stuff that Callum does, some exclusive interviews uh, that, that he might have lined up over the course of whenever he does those kind of things. Fantastic. And yeah, until next week, please do stay safe. Please do listen to some of the previous episodes and please do get your friends to give us some nice reviews because that would be really, 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 really nice. And... Have a wonderful rest of the week.